Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Ah, welcome to Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Uh, thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show, highlighting issues around rooming houses and um, homelessness. Hi, I'm Bill. Uh, each week on the Living Free Show, we highlight one of the 12-step programs that assist recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling, and food addictions. Um, our guests share their recovery experience with us and show us that shared experience save lives. Um, today, my guest is Liz, and she'll be sharing her experience of drug addiction and how the members of Narcotics Anonymous have helped her to recover. Uh, so welcome to the 3CR studio this afternoon, Liz. Hello, thank you, Bill. Uh, yeah, so we've got a pretty standard format, and that is we, we talk about growing up, what happened, getting into an A, and what life's like now. So that's sort of the, I guess, the trajectory we like to follow. Um, but first of all, how long have you been in NA? I've been in NA this time one year and a half. Yeah. I did come in when I was 21 for five months, but now I've come be- I've come back and I've been for a year and a half. Yeah. Okay, cool. <clears throat> right. So we'll go back talking about growing up and mm-hmm. what the family was like and what school's like and things like that. So sure. um, what's your family consist of? Uh, it's my mum and my dad and my brother. Yep. I also was really close with my grandma and grandpa, um, coming from an Italian family, like everyone lived together. Yep. So that was my family at home. Okay. Extended family. Yeah, cool. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so what area did you grow up in? I grew up in Camberwell. Okay. Right. Um, so family life, uh, relaxed, happy, easygoing environment? Well, oh, yes and no. Uh, my my family was always arguing. Um you know, there was a lot of arguments and aggression, a lot of verbal aggression, um, yelling and fighting. So it wasn't really that relaxed, you okay. know, looking back yeah. in hindsight. Yeah. Mm. So what what caused that? Well, I feel like my family was uh, – they, they were really good, materialistically speaking, you know. I had everything yep. I needed. Yes. But I wasn't – catered for emotionally. So if I f- stepped outside the box that I was supposed to be- behave in, you know, I would get criticised and, um, you know, I'd get yelled at and I don't think I took that too well. Okay. Mm. So were you punished at all or not? Yes. Okay. Yeah, Did, I was punished. Yeah. So- yeah, so I think um, growing up knowing that uh, it's okay to show – I don't know if you would say violence, but... Physical, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. we'd get smacked, you know, and um, get the kitchen utensils out and smack us with that. And that was the punishment, you know. It wasn't more like sit down and have a chat. Let's just yeah. punish them with a bit yeah. of violence. Yeah, yeah. They know they've done wrong. I won't have to explain it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so did you find that you rebelled against that? Was it? Yeah, I did. So the more I got in trouble and the more that I wasn't heard, I felt like I, I rebelled. And it was just a natural thing for me to do that yeah. because my brother wasn't like that, but I was. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what was it like at school? Did you have lots of friends? Yes, I did. So I went to a, a private girls' school yeah. and I had a group of friends that were the same background as me and I'm Italian and Greek background. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were seen as like the popular group, I guess you could say, mm. but we were naughty, okay. always in yeah. trouble. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So were you one of the leaders? I was. I was the ringleader. I okay. look back now and see that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so did that mean that you didn't relate to all the other kids at school, that you were that different or not? Yeah, I did feel like that, definitely. Um, I guess I, I I needed attention from elsewhere, so I tried to get that by behaving badly. Okay. Yeah. So did you have low self-esteem? Yes. Yeah. I think now that I look back, yes. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. okay. Yeah. At the time, it was just normal. Just normal. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You don't realise till later. You don't, you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I would have had to to be such a mean person, you know, to other students. Yeah. 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 Were you a bully? Was that? I was. Yeah. 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 I don't like saying that, but I have to be honest. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that, yeah, people, I think that's a very common thing at, yeah. at schools that children exercise that. Um. So how did 
How did your teens progress then with you being a bit of a wild kid? Yeah, okay. So we had a group of friends that were our guy mates. Um, they invited us to parties on the weekends. Yeah. Uh, we'd start you know, going there, lying to my family, telling them I was sleeping over at a friend's house, but at this party all night long. So we, we would all do that and lie to our family. Okay. So did that mean that you weren't at your friend's place? Or, yes. Okay. Wasn't. We were at a party. Yeah, okay. And then we'd go somewhere else or, you know, we'd end up going back to one of the families that was less strict and they were okay with it, but my family didn't know. They just thought I was sleeping at my friend's house, going shopping in the day, but little did they know that I was, you know, buying huh. alcohol and, and drinking it. Okay, yep. So when did you start drinking alcohol? 14. Yep. Yeah, definitely 14. Yep. Um, yeah, at a party. And straight away, I drank to get really drunk. So, and a lot of people could just put it down. A lot of the girls, like, they didn't have to finish their alcohol, but I did. Yeah. So, I can see that that was a problem then. Yeah. yeah well, most alcoholics have that. Once they get the taste, it's really, you just can't put yeah. it down. Yeah. 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 Um, so, did you enjoy the feeling of it? Yes and no. Like, I didn't like the next day, but that didn't stop me from thinking, oh, that was so good. I Got to do it again. You know, yeah. it didn't scare me off it. Yeah. Okay. All. So did it make you feel really uh, in control? Yeah, it did actually. Everything yeah. went away, all my problems and worries, and I felt free. Okay. Yeah. So did it change your behavior? It did. I did get aggressive with alcohol actually. Yeah. And I. That's not uncommon. No, yeah. it's not uncommon. I don't, don't think so. Yeah. And I had a lot of confidence and everything was okay and I was happy at the time mm. when I was drinking. Okay. So what did your girlfriends think? Um, I don't think they thought that was a problem because they were like that a little bit too. Yeah. But they didn't really know enough about it to say anything, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you didn't have any vomiting or any of the normal... I did, yeah. yeah. I think they probably just thought that I had drank too much. Okay, they didn't, yeah. They weren't critical about it, though. Okay, right. That's yeah. just, yeah, rite of passage, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Um, so getting alcohol at 14 is difficult. So yes. there must have been some older people involved. There was. We had a group of guy friends. Yep. And they were about 18 at the time yep. and okay. they would have everything for us. Okay. Yeah. Right. So your parents didn't know. So was it difficult with you drinking to keep that from them? Uh, that I could easily hide. Um, you know, looking back now, I was very good at manipulating and making myself appear a certain way. Okay, yeah. Which is the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah, it's part, of, part, part of, of that. Part of the parcel. Yeah, it yeah. is. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, so when did they find out that drinking was part of your life? They if didn't. They didn't? Okay. No. 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 Okay. Not in my teens. Okay. Um, and so supporting yourself and, you know, to, to buy alcohol and things, you need a bit of money. So are you supporting yourself as well? I was working, yeah. yeah. I worked from 14. Um, I was functioning at the time, so yeah. I was able to work. Okay. So um, what sort of jobs? I worked in a recreation centre. So there was a pool and a gym and an aerobics classes. So it was like a community centre. It's pretty young. Pretty young, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Very young. Okay. Um, so you finished school Okay. Yes, I finished school. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah, I did finish school, but I was always getting in trouble though, so, but I finished mm. school. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yep. So, um, anything happened while you're drinking that caused you to think maybe this isn't such a good idea? When? When do you mean? Oh, uh, well, during school, like, you know, during that time you were drinking. Um, well, I actually, I, I, alcohol was my first, but I actually switched straight away to drugs. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. So what were you taking? Speed and ecstasy. Yeah. And then ice. Okay. So the alcohol was a gateway. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I guess your friends were using the drugs as well. That's how you got them. The boys, yeah, yeah. they were. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And the girls sometimes, yeah, but I was the one that was all up with the boys, you know, that behavior and, you know, acting like one of the boys and doing that kind of thing. Okay. Um... So, um, so finishing school then, did did you go into uni? I did. So I enrolled into a psych course and HR, and I really liked the psych. So I was able to 
listen to the subjects that I wanted to listen to and participate until I started not attend, attending and turning up on time and, you know, my my drug addiction was coming into, into play. I could see that, um, but I thought that I could just control it next semester, next semester, and um, it didn't work like that. Right, okay. Um, so it must have been difficult to finish. I didn't finish it. Yeah. You didn't finish it? That's okay. right. Right, okay. So I didn't finish. Okay. The drugs took over and that became more important. Okay. Um so did you find yourself getting sort of feeling separate from everything? Yeah. And I feel, feel jealous because the girls that I had um, in my group at uni, you know, they worked, they weren't using drugs or anything like that. And I was actually hiding that from them because I had a different face wherever I went, you know. I'd wear different masks. So yeah. different. That, yeah. yeah that, that's very common. That's, very common. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to blend into those type of scenes, I had to put on a on an act. So they didn't know. No. But no. I did feel alienated and that made me feel worse about myself. Okay. Um, so your family still didn't, did they know about your drug taking? Well, at 19, I had that serious car accident. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I had a serious car accident at 19. Yeah. And I, th- they did know. Um, I did tell them what happened. I couldn't really lie because I was sitting in hospital, you know, after a big weekend. Yeah. And they sent me to a rehab Right after that. Okay, yes. Um, so did, that, did the accident make you think, gosh, I should do something about this. It did, definitely. Because I didn't dine it and I didn't have a seatbelt on either. Oh, wow. It was like there's got to be something there that's given me a chance to change my life. As soon as I felt better, that all went out the window. But I really did want to try and change, but I didn't have enough desire at the time. Didn't have enough energy. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so finishing uni then um, – what sort of work did you get into? I stayed at that same job that I had from 14. Okay. So I could keep that down. Okay. Up until about 24. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so what about relationships? Relationships while you're on drugs slash alcohol and, mm-hmm. and you're telling different people different things. Yes. Is that a difficult thing to do? Definitely. So mm-hmm. I did get into a relationship, my first boyfriend ever. Okay. So I was one of the tomboys, so I wasn't interested until I met someone after I got out of rehab a couple of months later. And we both had drug, a drug problem and we both wanted to stop. But, you know, when payday come, that went out, out the window, really. So, you know, we tried to do it together, but it doesn't work like that. Okay. Um, so what if we just go back quickly to, um, to rehab? Yeah. Um, so how did you get into rehab? Well, my family found it. Okay. Yeah, and they said, this is where you're going. This will help. This will help. Yep. And at the time I said, great, if that can fix me, I'm open to it. Yep. Um, but I did it for them, not really for me. Okay. Uh, and so were you exposed to NA there? I was. Yeah. Yeah, they talked about going to a meeting and they introduced NA and AA. And then I went to my first NA meeting when I got out of rehab. And I remember it was a Friday night and it was huge and I just loved it. I really did because I heard other people that were like me. Yeah. And I thought, wow, I'm not the only person that's like this. Yeah. That's <laughs> <good>. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it, how um, you know, when, you, when you get in, in with a group of people who understand you and understand your motivations and your fears and your yep. shortcomings, um, right. that you actually feel like they're family. You do. Yeah. That's right. There's a connection there that you can't get anywhere else. Yeah. So – what did you did you you obviously continued for a while in NA? I did. Yeah. Um, I made some really good friends. Uh, did a lot of um, catching up with them before and after meetings, which is really suggested in, in early days. Yeah. Because you come in and you have no friends that are doing the right thing. So yeah. I did that for about five months. Okay. Um, but I think that I wasn't ready. Something deep down inside me because I haven't I hadn't hit the yets. Okay. So do you want to talk about the yets? Yes, the yets. <laughs> so before. I left, you know, I hadn't used drugs intravenously, I hadn't touched heroin, I hadn't been homeless, I hadn't been in a violent relationship, I hadn't had a lot of trauma, traumatic events, you know, I hadn't lost my family yet, I hadn't done crime and I didn't have a criminal record. 
Right. And that okay. all changed once I went back out there. Okay. Right. Um, okay. So sort of moving moving back back to where we were before, talking about relationships and things. So, um, and you, I think you said it was your first boyfriend. Yes. So what's, what was the basis of the relationship as far as you moved in together? Yes, it was straight living... away codependent. Oh, okay. Codependency. And codependent because? Uh, we both wanted to be loved, I guess. And um, I guess there was a part of us that did love each other, but it wasn't a healthy relationship. And then that's when all the uh, violence came and, you know, manipulation and a lot of harm done to each other. Definitely. Okay. So it's, um, so domestic violence takes a, a number of forms. So what sort of domestic violence did you uh, suffer? Yeah, at first it was physical. Uh, do I go into detail with that one? Oh, well, it's, I think generalities is fine. Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So physical and then emotional as well definitely came along with it. Then also financial, so taking my money didn't have my money, access to my money, and that's to control me to stay with the person and um, property um, being damaged, my phones, everything like that. So, you know, there's the mental, emotional and physical, it's all together. Yeah, okay, right. Um, So did you feel um, that you could help the other person? Codependency is about this strange relationship where we think we're both better and we're both less than the the other person. Yes. And I did think I could help because he came from a really uh, tough upbringing and I felt sorry for him in a way and I really did care about him and I thought, you know, maybe he needs someone that's healthy like me, which is a bit delusional, (laughs) you know, but I didn't come from a family like him. So I thought that I could show him, you know, how it is to live, which was so wrong. Right, okay. Um, and so staying in that relationship, you know, it's very complicated. And as you said, he had control of you. So yeah. is it is it about low self-esteem where you don't think you can do anything else? Is that That's what, right. It's Because yeah. the emotional uh, violence, what it does is it breaks down your sense of self and you don't have any – you feel like you're worthless, so you'll stay with the person. Right. Then you believe all the manipula- manipulation and all those controlling tactics. Okay. Um, so you managed to – Keep working all this time? Yes. Yeah. Until just after we got together, things like we moved out of home. So then we couldn't afford rent because it would go to drugs. And then, you know, I, I got fired from my work because I was unreliable and and did some things that weren't right. Yeah. Okay. So that must have made it very hard. Yeah. Uh, financially. Financially. You must have added to the stress in the oh, relationship. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, when we got evicted from like four houses okay, as well. Yeah. And these, these are all consequences of putting drugs first. Yep. Okay. Well, so we might take a quick break. Uh, I've got a song. This one's called The Best Bit, and it's by Beth Orton. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japurung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japurung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. The campaign to protect country is led by Japarang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarang country near Ararat 
or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM, streaming at 3cr.org.au. 3CR Digital, Podcasting or Audio On Demand. Interested in mental health issues? Then tune into Brainwaves every Wednesday at 5pm. Brainwaves is a peer-produced and presented program addressing issues that may affect you. 3CR, inclusive radio, making your voice heard. Ah, you're listening to um, Living Free on 3CR. We've got about 90 episodes of our show available uh, as podcasts, and they're on our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash Living Free, so you can check them out there. Uh, if you want to send us a message, then you can either contact us via 3CR on 9419 8377 or email us on uh, 3CR Living Free at com, and we're also on Twitter as 3CR Living Free. I'm talking with Liz, and we're talking about recovery from drug addiction with the help of Narcotics Anonymous. Um, so, Liz, when we left, we were talking about um, being in a a relationship. Yes. That included domestic violence. That's right. And so, you know, a lot of people, you know, it, it's a very common situation. But what are the sorts of things that kept you in that relationship? Yeah. Okay. So. I hadn't had a boyfriend before, yeah. so I really fell in love with this guy. Um, he was very charming as well. Yeah. So no matter what he did, you know, he would ask me to forgive him and I knew it was going against my, my values and morals about how I was raised, you know, to be yep. treated. But I didn't, I didn't use those tools that I had learned, you know, through life. And, um, you know, I was stuck in a cycle of, you know, violence and then the honeymoon period where they forgive. I mean, they talk you into forgiving them yep. and then it's okay for a little bit and then the violence happens again and then the sorries and then it just becomes a circle until that's what you're used to. Yeah. So did it involve isolation? Well, um, at the start, no. Yep. Um, I could tell that he was really jealous when I had uh, friends I had a lot of guy mates too that I had to stop seeing unless he was with me. Um, and even when he was there, we would go home and then he would, I'd get in trouble, you know, if I talked a certain way or wore something, um, you know. And then um, after a few years, we moved up to Coffs Harbour, which is up in um, northern New South okay. Wales. Yeah. Beautiful place. And I didn't see it at the time, but I, you know, like I had no family there. I was disconnected from my family. Yeah. Uh, I spoke to them on the phone sometimes. Um, I was isolated. I had hardly any friends there, and um, that's where the, the domestic violence took over, as well as using drugs. You know, that all is a combination. I was definitely isolated, and that's a pattern of domestic violence. Yeah. Yes. So we are family concerned for you. Yeah, they were, but I yeah. lied to them and I made out like he was a saint, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, because I, I, I always thought, you know, if if I'm going to marry this guy, then he's going to change. And then why would I want to worry them? Because they, they would hate him if they knew what he was doing to me. Yeah. You know, so when my dad did find out years later, he was so mortified. So was my mum. But throughout those five years, you know, I never said anything. And it was really hard for me to carry that pain around. I hardly told anybody. Yeah. That's... So I was isolated within myself too. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess being being in that situation, um, what you're obviously using during, uh, during that time. Definitely. Yeah. So money must have been a, a problem if you weren't working and stuff. Well, I got a job up there. Okay. Because I had to. Yes. And, <laughs> to um, keep the family. <laughs> to keep the rental. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. He worked too. So he had a really good job as a tradie. Okay. And... Um, it's weird because it's I don't know I understand how but we got kicked out of two homes up there as well I guess but it's manageable for a little bit of time yeah and then it becomes unmanageable and then all of a sudden you know the money runs out and then you're back to square one living in a tent in the caravan park on the beach so it wasn't easy there was a lot of up and downs in that in that time um yeah yeah mm. so what's it like living in a tent on the beach. Oh, it's, the beach is nice, <laughs> yeah. but you know what? Like I was looking at everybody around and I'm like, these people are here for holidays, coming in their camper vans and 
I was just like, how? what have I done to my life? You know, do, as long as I stay with this person, I'm going to be in this position. Because I could always go home to my family, but I didn't want to. I wanted to stay with my, my partner at the time. Yeah. And um, I look back now, though, and I see, you know, I don't have to be in that position again. Um, but as a, like, it's more the drugs than anything. You know, like if I wasn't, if my mind wasn't blocked from using drugs, I would have made better choices and yeah. I wouldn't have stayed in that relationship. Then I wouldn't have had to go to Coffs Harbour and then live in a tent and get homeless and don't have a job, then get another job and just don't have steady income coming in. Yeah. So did you stay in that relationship all the way through, all the way through the homelessness and the whatever? Yes, but then um, when I did leave him, though, like this, it wasn't him, it was me. Everywhere I went, this happened to me. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, like a geographical, yeah. Geographical, that's right. And they say in the rooms, you know, a a geographical won't change. So I had, when I talk about the yets before, I hadn't yet... You know, move to another state to try and get over my my addiction because it was with me. It's always going to be with me unless yep. I get the issue addressed. It's always going to be with me wherever I go. Yeah. But even when I did leave him, you know, I went back home and then I got kicked out of home and then I went back to um, Dandenong, you know, where I originally moved out to in the first place. Um, and then I started hanging around another boy and then another group of dangerous people and. You know, people that were doing crime and stuff, and then I was homeless again. So it wasn't just with him. No. Okay. So why did you leave him? He did try to take my life. Okay. That's a good reason. Yeah. So, and then in that moment, you know, I, the police came and I never called the police because when you're using drugs and you're from a certain type of circle of people, you know, that thing is forbidden. You yeah. know, you don't call the police. No. And I didn't have trust in the police either then. No. Um, and I didn't want anything bad to happen to him. So I tried to deal with it my own on my own. So when he did try to take my life in the house, I ran outside and um, the police got called and I still didn't say anything to this day. And no. then I got um, a flight back to Melbourne, which my family paid for. Because I told them what happened, and that was, I, yeah, that was the worst, worst time of my life. What happened? Yeah, it wasn't nice. Just the feeling was just really, yeah, it's hard to put it in words. Yeah. But so, so what was it? Admitting that you'd made the wrong choice was that was that the basis of it? It was. I can't believe I'm in this position. Yeah. What have I done? Like I can't believe it got this far. I never thought he would do that to me and try to do that to me. But I don't blame him, you know, that's just uh, hurt people hurt people, you know. There's a saying about that. Yeah. And I see that. And um, I got really depressed after that, you know, and I had to tell my family and it was just like too – I was getting overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah. It was scary. Okay. Um, So at what point did you think that drugs were not doing for you what they used to? Well, there's a point where – Oh, these consequences start happening. So these consequences build up over a long time until it starts really becoming unmanageable, you know, like having gone from having a job to no job, having to do crime to support my drug addiction, getting in trouble with the police, all this stuff that was happening, I thought, wow, it's not worth getting high anymore. It really isn't. Like the drugs start losing their effect because consequences start happening. And they do. They definitely will come. And it's a progressive disease. So, you know, when we say disease, like, you know, like it starts off fun at the start. um, But as time goes by, your brain doesn't take the drugs as it used to. And there's more consequences over the feeling of taking drugs. So when they start um, adding up and you get into these situations, then that's when the, the drugs didn't really have an effect anymore, but it's a way of life and that's all I was used to, so I just kept doing that. Okay. So what what caused you to come in contact with the police then? Oh, so what did I do? Yeah. Um, I When I went back to the Dandy area, um, you know, I hung around with people that were pretty dangerous and pretty, you know, involved in crime okay. and... I started selling drugs and I started um, doing crimes to get money to get drugs. And um, that's where my life was like taking over and um, that happened for a long time. And then um, it all just caught up with me and then I got in trouble for it. Okay. 
and the police I would come and I'd get arrested and then I was on bail and they'd come to my family's house but then I wasn't there and it was like cat and mouse with the police. <laughs> <laughs> so were you avoiding them or were you just somewhere else? I just didn't care. Okay. Yeah. I didn't care. So they couldn't they couldn't really get to me because I was in my circles of my people. Okay. You yeah. know? <laughs> sounds strange to me. Yeah. Um, so um, I guess in, in that situation then, how long did that last before something changed? What do you mean, before I... Oh, well, when you moved back to Danong, how long did that last? That went on, on and off for a long time. So the last half of my using. Okay. And it was all around the southeastern suburbs too. Okay. Anywhere yeah. from like the city all the way down to Cranburn, all those areas, Narrowborough and Hallam, Oakley, Clayton. Yeah. Um, and I, I'd go between groups. Like I'd go from the southeast side to the west side. Then I'd go from the west side to the nor- um, northern side, you know? Like I'd have different groups in every suburbs, different clans of people. Right. So it actually went for a while, you okay. know? yeah. And um, years and years of that. So did you get sick of them or did they get sick of you? I think I got sick of them because they couldn't give me what I needed or wanted anymore, you know, in terms of everything. So I'd move to the next person and then the next person and the next group of people. You know, I was really selfish and I just took what I needed and wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. right. Um, What are we up to? Um, So what caused you to get help, to to think about changing? Okay. So... When I had all my court cases coming up and I got um, arrested from the police, like for the last time, I first of all, my family was really worried about me and they put out a missing persons report on me four times because I completely um, stopped contacting them once they disowned me sort of, you know, like they didn't want anything to do with my behaviour. So I thought, stuff you, I'm not talking to you. So I didn't ever contact them and they were really worried sick. So... First of all, they put a missing person's report on me four times. And every time I would go there to make contact so I would get off this report, missing persons thing, I found out from my brother who was sort of took over. My dad didn't want to speak to me anymore and my mum was just a wreck. And my brother said, if you, the police keep coming and there's warrants for your arrest, if you don't come home or contact the police, you're going to jail. You know, like your court cases are coming up. We keep getting your mail. Um, everything just started becoming visible to what could happen to me. Yeah, yeah the consequences landed. They did. Yeah, yeah. Consequences were all there, you yeah. know, and I thought, wow, because of the amount of crimes I had done, like I was advised that um, I could be going to jail. And I really didn't want that. And I thought, I'll just go back to NA. And I didn't go to a detox or rehab this time. I did it all by myself with the fellowship, with NA. So mm. I contacted a friend that was in the rooms and still is back then. Yeah. Took me to my first meeting again and that's di- when I thought. How different was that to your first, first meeting? Well, going, I was, going back. this time I was desperate. Yeah. This time I had done all the yets, <laughs> you know, and I um, was in a place where I just want to change my life. I don't want to go to jail and I don't want to die from using drugs. Don't want to go to a psych ward because they're all the promises. You, you definitely get those. If you keep using drugs, they will happen. Yep. If you can stop it before that with the help of Narcotics Anonymous, well, I took that chance. I really wanted a better life, you know? So. I wanted to change. I wanted to stop using drugs and I just didn't know how. Yeah. Yeah. So wh- what's the NA way? Yeah. How? So. <laughs> what's the how? <laughs> so you go to a meeting and then um, they say do 90 and 90 meetings in yep. 90 days. Yep. Uh, normally people aren't working and they're just by themselves. So sometimes people will go twice a day. I did that sometimes. Yeah. Um, it's advice to get a sponsor. So I got a sponsor. I started doing the steps, but you definitely need to be honest and open-minded to everything that the program says and willing. And I had, I guess I had a bit of everything, but it wasn't enough, Um, you know, and then I I still thought, it's weird how to explain it. Like I come in and then I I didn't do all the suggested things. I didn't stay away from a guy, which is very advised to do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Because anything you try and put before your recovery, you will lose it. And I, you have to fix yourself before you even think of being with someone. And that's not on my agenda anymore. I don't care about that because mm. um, you start looking for externals to fix the internal. Um, and for me, I did that and then I relapsed. Um, but then I come back into the program after three months. 
So what what was the relapse like for you, having oh. wanting to be offered to get back on? What's the? It was really bad because I was on bail at the time as well. Okay. So I had everything to lose. Yeah. And it was the, the worst out of all the times that I've used. It was probably the worst because I had all of this knowledge that I had gained from NA and this hope that I just smashed on the floor and all these people that were good in my life, and I threw that away. And I was really lucky to make it back after three months, you know, and I nearly died in that time from you know, from drugs, and I put myself in really bad situations, which wouldn't be worth, because I knew that my life would be worth living, and I started to see a glimpse of that before I relapsed. So that all brought me back. And so coming back from the re- from this second relapse then, yep. what, what's that like? Do you, does NA just accept you with open arms? They do. You only have a desire to stop using drugs. Yep. So I did come a bit um, drug-affected to some of them at the start, but then I detoxed at home by myself, which was really difficult, and then I got myself straight to a meeting. I had a, made a group of really good friends that supported me. If they hadn't keep reaching out to me, I don't know if I would have gone back. So that's very important, the whole fellowship part of it. Yep. Then I um, built a relationship with this beautiful woman who's now my sponsor. We're very similar age. We've been through very similar situations, and I really can be honest and open with her. So this sponsor, I can tell her everything, and um, I don't need to leave anything out. And that actually helps a lot. It doesn't make sense, but it does. Yeah. Because secrets keep you sick. So I was holding on to these yeah. little secrets that I was ashamed of. But just by opening up and doing the steps, the steps are really important. You know, step one's about I'm powerless over my addiction, you know, and um, my life has become unmanageable. So all the other steps are meaningless until I get that step one right. Until you accept it, yeah. Accepted it. Yeah. And I finally accepted it. Yeah. I really did. <laughs> Okay, well, listen, we might take another break. Uh, This one is City Girl, and it's by Joan Armitrading from back in 1972. You came into town with your big eyes. Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another and I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick and check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR. We are still fired up. And we're still talking about revolution. Ah, welcome back. Um, you're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Um, I'm talking with Liz and we're talking about recovery from drug addiction through Narcotics Anonymous. Um, so we sort of left with you coming back into NA and having a bit of a break and then coming back. Yes. So I think we're talking about sponsorship. So how important is sponsorship? Really important. <sighs> it's the idea of sponsorship is to find someone who's done the steps before, yep. who has more clean time than you and can take you through the steps. Now, they're not a counsellor and they're not a doctor. 
and they're not a trauma counsellor or anything like that, you know. Yeah. They're just they're, a friend. They're just a friend. Yeah. But they can guide you. They, they don't tell you what to do and what not to do. Yep. They just advise where they've been and what worked for them, yep. you know. And a lot of times I've approached my sponsor with, how, how do I act this way? What do I do in this situation? What do I do with this? And then she'll just say, look, I advise you, I encourage you. So it, there's no like how I grew up was like you can't do this and you can't do that, you know. Yep. And it was, it's nothing like that with your sponsor. It's really important to have a sponsor to, to take you through the steps. Yeah, so it's not black and white. No, no, it's not. No. So you don't get in trouble or anything, which is really good. And then <laughs> yeah. you don't run away and rebel from the, from the program. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, good, it's a good feeling. It's a bit like having a family. It is. Uh, and I think I, I sort of see it as a bit like having an aunt or an uncle yeah. who you can talk to. Well, that's right. Yeah, who can just yeah help you, help you out. Yeah, and yeah. it becomes a beautiful relationship, you know. And I, I actually didn't trust women before I come into NA, I, I didn't like them. I hated them, as yep. many girls do in the drug scene. You know, we hate yep. women and we stick with the boys. Yep. So it was really hard for me to open up. So I think with my first sponsor, I didn't open up with her until I was around enough, met the right person, got the new sponsor that worked for me. Yeah. It's about trust. Trust. Yeah. It's about trust and it yeah. evolves over time. Yeah. Um, but you start to see that their heart's in the right place and they want to help you. Yeah. You and know? if they challenge you too, that's a good thing. Yeah, that's right. It, it builds that builds that relationship a lot. Um, so, wh- you, you said that you'd run out of yet. So you'd done all that stuff. Yes. So you had all the experience. You knew there was only way up, one way up. Yes. Um, and so, how important are the steps then? Really important. Uh, without the steps, there's a, a, a it's what is it called? A slogan called a dry drunk. That's the word, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which means that you can be clean off drugs or alcohol, but without a program and without like the principles that you learn in the program, you're running on defective character and you haven't really accepted that there's a, an issue and your life's become unmanageable, you know? So the steps have made me see where I am the problem and, you know, it picks apart like all my resentments and fears and then I'm able to look past them. A lot of people relapse due to holding on to resentment and fear, and it's it's really important that I also take responsibility and then I act in the opposite way to what I would normally act, you know? Yeah, the think again. Yeah, you, you have think a thought again. and then you think again and go, yeah, yeah, that's not really a, yeah. That's right. And then how would, um, you know, like instead of thinking like, oh, I'm jealous or I'm going to be angry or resentful, I have to replace those with really good principles like being kind loving, accepting and tolerant and patient. So what I've done is in everything I do, how I would normally react when I'm on drugs, I do the opposite now today and it feels better to do that, Mm. to be, you know, of service to other people and be kind to people and, you know, if someone is annoying me, don't let it bother me because I need to be considerate that they're going through something. Maybe they don't have the program in their life and the tools to be able to be the way I want them to be. So it really picks apart where I've been selfish and self-seeking around everything I've done in my life. Yeah. Um, It's a really good process. Like I wouldn't be clean without it for sure. Yeah. And and I think it's that thing of looking at your own life and realising you're not this perfect person. That's right. Um, And the other one is you're not, you're not tiny and insignificant. You're you're just equal with everybody else and everybody's got problems. That's right. Yeah. And but it doesn't up... revolve around me anymore like it used no, to. No, no. Yeah. 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 So what about uh, you know other members helped you when you came in? So are you yep. up to helping other members? I am, definitely. I do. At the start, it was hard for me to reach out to people as I didn't trust many people. So I thought, oh, I'll stay away from you. I won't get too close to you. Over time, though, I feel like NA loved me back to life. So I'm able to do that, what was done for me. So when I see someone that's a newcomer or they're struggling, I reach out to them. Hundred um, percent. It's about unity. You know, our fellowship's all about unity, and we all have to get along and love each other. Even if we don't like each other, we still treat each other with respect. Now, I'm about to start sponsoring um, a young woman um, that I've gotten to know, and she's going to be my first sponsee really soon. I just need yeah. to finish my steps, yeah. and I'm up to nine at the moment. So. Mm. I can't wait to do that. And I really have now seen that my story can be, you know, something to be learned from and I can help other people. And it's all about, you know, sharing the message um, to someone who still suffers. So that's really the guts of it. And yeah. I'll keep um, reaching out to girls who want me to sponsor them for sure. Yeah. Um, I do have a close group of really good girlfriends and we all have the same sponsor, which is really funny. <laughs> 
<laughs> so what about friendships outside NA? Yeah. I have most of my friends in the rooms. I go to work too and I have a couple of friends that don't do the program. Um, at TAFE, I definitely have friends. But the people that I spend time with are the ones in NA. Okay. They're my people. Yep. And I like it that way because yep. we all understand each other. Yep. It's beautiful. So what about parties and stuff like that these days without no. drugs and stuff? I don't go to any parties. Okay. So I don't put myself in any position that would have me really close to picking up alcohol or drinks um, or, or drugs. drugs. Yeah. I can't have that in my system at all. You know, like when I have a drink or a drug in my system, I'm not myself. I can't stop. I've become unmanageable. Um, everything will go out the window. So I don't put myself in positions where there's going to be those things. So it's all about people, places, and things. Yeah. And I've learned now that I can't associate with anyone from my past. You know, I've had to delete social media, get a new phone number, and I was willing to go to those lengths to stay clean. Yeah. And I just don't go out. I don't need to go out. I love my no. life now going to bed a bit early and yeah. going to safe and work and – and meetings and stuff like that. That's beautiful for me. That's enough. Yeah. So what's it like having a job where you don't have to hide what you're doing? It's so good. <laughs> um, I, I work for a lived experience uh, group in the Women Transforming Justice Project. Yeah. And we're a bunch of girls that have uh, criminalization against us because of drugs. Yeah. And it's really good to be able to, first of all, get paid for what, you know, my life has become, but also to make a difference and um, raise awareness and advocacy around issues that have been in people's life and that's why they turn out a certain way. Yeah. So it's great. Yeah. Well, women are particularly violent, uh, vulnerable yes. in that drug and alcohol space. Yeah. So you must see some pretty challenging things. No, because right now what we're doing is we're just doing the advocacy and stuff. Okay. And later on we'll be meeting with girls like us that have been in our position. Yep. Right now we're not doing that. So we, it's all it's all a new program. It's a new okay. project at the moment. So okay. it's going to be going, you know, at a good pace. But that'll be fine when that happens. You'll yeah. be right, yeah. 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 And I'm also at TAFE 2 studying. Okay. So what are you yeah. studying? Criminal justice. Okay. And then I'm going to be doing my um, AOD, alcohol and other drugs. Yeah. And I hope to work in either youth work or I want to do casework. So... I want to use my lived experience to help others and tell them that I've been in their shoes and that they can do it too. So yeah. I think lived experience is really important in a workplace that deals with these issues. Yeah. 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 Well, that's what this show's about. It's about sharing experience so mm. people can understand that you mm. can come back. You know, there's Definitely. No, there's, no, there's no way you can go too far that's that right. you can't come back. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my family's in my life again too. Yeah. We love each other. Yeah. So um, what about the relationships then with your mum and your dad? Yeah. yeah. So now my dad speaks to me. Yeah. It's beautiful. Uh, we have a really beautiful relationship. It's taken a year and a half to build, yeah. but it's better than before. Because yeah. all the hardship and all the things we've been through, we've really appreciated each other. So sometimes hardship, if you come out of it, can be a really good thing. Uh, we, I don't live with my mum or my dad, but my dad, I was living at my grandma's house, but she passed away sadly last year. And um, I asked Dad to move in with me, and it's been really good ever since. Um, I have a relationship with my brother too. He doesn't really talk much, but we do. Yeah. We're amicable, which is yep. really beautiful. But my parents can trust me now. They can leave their money on the table and it won't go missing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah, like, I do. They can leave the country now and think she's going to be okay. I don't need yeah. to worry. It's yeah. beautiful. The house will still be here when we get back. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's good to be able to laugh about it, isn't it? And yeah. look back. Um, so what about spirituality? How important is that? Very important mm. for me because um, I, I can't run the show myself. I need someone, something else to steer me, you know, and um, spirituality is just about being everything that is like loving and kind and caring and, and all these good principles that need to be in my life on a daily basis or I go back to where I come from. So without those beautiful spiritual principles – I'm not a nice person, you know, and I need mm. to be like that so I can function in the world. So that's yeah. really big for me. But that comes when you start, you know, doing the steps and all that. So don't get too scared, um, people, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it seems overwhelming, but it's not. It becomes a new way of life and it's beautiful. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Uh, well, listen, we're about almost at time. So um, if there's anybody out there who'd like to find out more about Narcotics Anonymous, uh, you can either phone them on 039525. 2833 or go online at www.navic.net.au 
Um, it's about time to go, so I'd like to thank Liz for coming into the 3CR studio and sharing her Narcotics Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Um, I hope you will be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about gambling and we're discussing a, a play which is called Three Sides of the Coin and also um, they're presenting Three Sides of the Coin at the Melbourne Fringe Festival in a few weeks. So we'll be doing an interview with one of the um, actors, actor gamblers, and also um, with one of the people who is coordinating that show. Uh, if you stay tuned now, we'll have Black Noise Radio, hosted by, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Thanks for listening to the Living Free program today. And to take us out, we've got a song called Love Me by Kate Bloom. I've seen lots of lonely places I've seen lots of rabbits' faces Those who dominate all races Are the scourge of People say I'm codependent.